Hi, I'm Lauren Good, Senior Tech Editor at The Verge, and you're listening to Too Embarrassed to Ask, a podcast where we answer all of your embarrassing questions about technology. It could be about what's going on at Uber right now. It could be about basic privacy measures you should be taking to protect your online information. It could be about which new smartphone to buy or whether the Samsung Galaxy S8 is going to explode. But we try to answer them all. So send us your questions. You can find uh, my regular co-host Kara Swisher and me on the Twitter and tweet your questions to us at at Recode or to me directly with the hashtag too embarrassed. We also have an email address. It's too embarrassed at recode.net. And just a friendly reminder that embarrassed has two R's and two S's. So my co-host Kara Swisher isn't here today. I think she was uh, maybe mildly disgusted when I said that we were going to talk about wearables again. And so she quickly made other plans. But I had to take this opportunity to talk about wearables because Ray Maker is in town from Paris. And some of you may know who Ray is or know him by his blog, DC Rainmaker. And I have a feeling some of you do know who he is because he told me when he went running this morning along the Embarcadero in San Francisco, six people called out to him along his run. So he's definitely famous in the endurance sports world. But for those of you who don't know, Ray is a blogger and athlete who covers the world of endurance sports through the lens of computers, basically. He reviews every wrist wearable, every heart rate monitor, every bike computer, pedal pods, gloves, sports cameras, you name it. Ray has tried it. He's blogged about it. He's YouTubed about it. And in October of 2015, he gave up his day job, he did the dream, and decided this is what he was going to do full time. He's based in Paris, but he happens to be in San Francisco this week, so we brought him in. Ray, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me on, on board. I'm so excited. I tweeted multiple times about this and included many exclamation points. <laughs> there was a lot of exclamation points. It was, yes. it's, it's justified, I think, right? Yeah, it's I, fun. Think, I think so. <laughs> Wearables are great. Yeah. I mean, I think it says a lot that you were running this morning and people were waving to you. Along yeah, it was crazy. I didn't expect it the first time. It was like, really? And then uh, it happened again and again. And uh, yeah, it's just not something that happens at, at home in, in France and um, I think it's because here people are obviously more tech focused, of course, than France isn't like a huge like wearable tech hub. Um, a lot of most normal people don't wear wearable tech there. And then the same for um, from an English speaking standpoint, my blogs primarily in English or all in English. And so uh, the French aren't as comfortable in English as some other European countries. And so I don't have like a huge followership in, in there. So I didn't, it's very rare. Like this weekend was the very first time in I think five years that someone's actually called me out in the middle of a ride uh, by name in France. So here like... I'm 12 hours on the ground and it's... You're internet <laughs> famous. People something. are probably also trying to look closely at your wrist to see if you're testing something they haven't seen before. They all are. It's a nice yeah. part about France. I don't have to worry about that at all. Like I can like go incognito anywhere. and But here it's like, no, everyone's looking at my wrist all the time. So I actually want to put my Peter Kafka hat on for a moment. And that means that... Uh, so Peter Kafka runs another one of our podcasts, Recode mm-hmm. Media. And he has people on all the time that are prominent in media, run their own media companies. And he just kind of asks them how they got started in what they're doing, you know, in their business. So I want to talk about you first before we got to all of the wearable stuff. Tell people how you got into this because you weren't always a full-time sports tech blogger. Yeah. So I was in the the technology space and kind of data center design and stuff like that. uh, And uh, over time, I had started a, a personal blog. I think like most people's personal blogs was mostly just here's what I ate and here's what I did. I mean, very, very, very kind of straightforward stuff. And then at one point, I had sent a big, long email about a really old uh, Polar watch, actually, to a bunch of coworkers that just was like my review of that watch and whether or not I liked or didn't like it and stuff. And What, what year was this? 2007 uh, ish. So this was yeah, almost a 10 years while ago. ago. Long okay. time ago, yeah. Do you remember which Polar watch it was? Uh, not off the top of my head. No, it was non-GPS. It, it was just like a generic accelerometer-based kind of running watch. And um, it was a... 
a longish email by email standards and just kind of sent it to him and didn't think anything about it. And then a few months later, I started this blog about just random personal stuff. And uh, one day I was like, couldn't have a, didn't have a post. So I just copied and pasted the email into a post and called it review. And it became popular. And then the next time I got another GPS or the first GPS running watch, I did the same thing for the old Garmin 400-305, like that orange-reddish uh, GPS watch. And that happened again. And then before you know it, Google did its like search magic and people kept coming to the site for the review. And so I just kept on buying more sports tech stuff and I would r- write reviews on it. And eventually it's kind of gotten a bit out of control now. And now it's is what it is about it's sports tech focus, but it's also sort of my life as well. It's like this blend of here's what I do on a day-to-day basis here that I did this weekend. And then here's the latest review on whatever uh, wearable or action camera, what, whatever's else. Yeah, I saw you took a painting class recently. Yeah, that, that, went, that went horrible for my, for my particular <laughs> painting. <laughs> well, uh, Stick to the running, I suppose. That's definitely <laughs> true. I had, without question, the worst painting in that class. <laughs> Why did you call it DC Rainmaker? Um, so you know how, like, when you're signing up for your ALS screen name, you, like, tried your real name and didn't really work, and then you kept on adding numbers and didn't really work. And so uh, I was living in DC at the time, and uh, DC Rainmaker was or Rainmaker was taken, and then DC Rainmaker was taken. I'm like, well, DC Rainmaker. I tried that, and it accepted it uh, on Blogspot, which is where I started the blog, and so that's how it stuck. If I had known more than, like, three people would eventually read it, I probably would have chosen differently. Or if I'd known I moved to Paris, I probably would have chosen differently since I no longer live in D.C. Uh, but, yeah, it's just it is what it is. Was Rainmaker <laughs> a nickname of yours growing up? Since Not at all. your name is Rainmaker? No, I mean, every once in a while people would make, like, certainly the joke of Rainmaker versus Rainmaker. But uh, it wasn't, like, something I, I thought about. It, it was not like you wake those... up and you're like, make it rain every day. <laughs> exactly. I lived in Seattle. I grew up in Seattle. So it was one of those things where I, I definitely was used to rain. But, uh, no, I didn't even... It literally was just process elimination of screen names like in the good old days. That's as simple as that. <laughs> okay, so you start this blog. You're working as an IT consultant, and mm-hmm. you're building web frames and things like that. Mm-hmm. You moved to Paris. Yep. At what point did you say, all right, this blog, it's it's taking off. It's yeah. a real thing. Uh, I would say like around probably a little bit after I moved to Paris, around like 2012, 2013. I moved to Paris in 2000, I guess 2012, and uh, – it was shortly after that that I kind of realized this could be a real thing. And but the thing is, I loved my day job. My day job was traveling three hundred thousand miles a year around the world. Like I could be in Brazil one week and Australia the next. And it was a lot of fun. So it wasn't like I wanted to leave. It was just it was great. And then eventually, you got to the point where um, it was just too much stuff. It was essentially balancing two full time jobs plus helping out my wife with her bakery. And one of those things where you just couldn't do anymore. You're sleeping four hours a night and working constantly. Um, so. It was about 18 months or so before I left uh, my full-time job that I, I got to the point where I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. And then it took that 18 months to sort out visas and the bureaucracy of that in, in France to be able to actually make that cut. So when I finally left in October 2015, that was like, to me, I was over the hump of I'm leaving my job and now I'm doing this full-time. But I think to some people are like, oh, was it a big shift? And it's like mentally I had already got past that 18 months prior just it took so long to get there uh, and so by the time I got to that point I was definitely excited to do something on my own I think the biggest thing for me is it's gaining scheduling freedom even for something as simple as this uh, podcast here I wouldn't have had that in a full-time job because I was I could have been on a plane to Dubai the next day and mm-hmm. didn't really couldn't really control my schedule I mean obviously vacations and stuff but just having a quick meeting you're not really sure if you can do that if you have to respond to someone else when you were starting the blog or when the blog started to get popular were you coming into it thinking, okay, I'm an athlete and I'm an athlete who happens to test these 
yep. technology devices or were you thinking, okay, I'm a technologist because <laughs> I work in technology and how can I apply that? In I some think way? definitely from an athletic standpoint first, but with a pretty deep tech background. So it's, you know, explaining things and understanding why they are what they are. And I think that's one of the things that's made it useful for folks is that, you know, if I'm reviewing a product and something doesn't work, I want to know why it doesn't work. I'm not just going to simply go out and say, oh, this sucks because it doesn't work this way. Um, but why was that decision made from an engineering standpoint? You know, working for a, a software company, I understood like everything's done for a reason. There's no, there's no accidents and that kind of stuff. So I like to go back to companies and say, why did you do it this way? You know, even if I disagree with why they did it that way, I want to at least be able to explain why they did it. I think that helps people understand things. If they understand why a decision was made, then it, mm -hmm. they can maybe decide whether or not the product's right for them or um, if that's, you know, the direction they want to go in. Right. Instead of just kind of ranting about why it might be missing something or why exactly. the battery life is poor or whatever it might be. Yeah, there's lots of trade-offs. Really uh, and the yeah. battery life is a great example, right? If you were to mm -hmm. compare something like the Apple Watch to a traditional fitness watch, you know, people are like, oh, the Apple Watch has a beautiful display. And it absolutely does. But that's the trade-off right there is that your battery life is a day and a half or so, maybe two days. And, you know, a traditional fitness watch could be a month. And so understanding that's a very simplistic, um, you know, explanation of why those two might be different. But that kind of diving into those, those details is what I think people like. You do all the testing yourself. Yeah, entirely yourself. Do you yeah. have a staff that helps you run the site? Uh, no, I've got some web developers that help just from the tech side, um, which is somewhat funny coming from being a tech guy myself. But I've learned like I'm gonna I got to focus my time on something, and so I'd rather focus it on testing and doing that, um, and then hire people that just maintain the site to make sure it's up 24-7. Uh, my wife helps me write the newsletter, um, and I've got one one guy that helps me do editing of my grammar, and that's and spelling. That's it. So what about ad sales? Uh, no, it, it's actually funny. There's, I've tried different ad companies um, over time, and I find the whole ad thing so frustrating. So, I, like, I block all the ads for companies that want to advertise with me or want to, uh, you know, product review. So, like, a uh, Garmin and Apple and Nike, all those companies can't advertise with me. Um, and so, I ended up using Google AdSense because it just works. I don't have to think about it. Like, I've tried other publishing, um, uh, you know, advertising type networks, and mm -hmm. have you tried any of like the, you know, the niche health and fitness? Yeah, ad I tried one a couple about a year and a half ago and mm -hmm. I, I guess a year yeah a year and a half ago and um it was one of those things that it sounds great in theory but then when you get to execution of it like to be able to, s to sell through volume of say four four million page views a month or whatever it is it's actually really tough to get that kind of in that fitness realm and then to still adhere to all the blocks that i have so to be able to say no i can't get an adidas or an underarm because they all sell gadgets that i review um, starts to limit your your playing field quite a bit and then you get low quality ads and then readers complain because they're getting low quality ads, especially international folks. Since my, my site is split half and half from a readership standpoint between uh, North America and international. It's something that, you know, you've got to be attention, pay attention to. And if, if they're getting crappy ads and people, you know, ads with sound, all that kind of stuff, people will close a page and won't come back. Absolutely. Yeah, it really can degrade the quality of your site and what you're trying to do. Is that what your traffic is? Four million views yeah, a month? Yeah, three to four million a month, depending on, you know, in season, out of season, whether people are trying to buy what they're trying to buy. But yeah, that's uh, roughly about the average. And are you doing affiliate linking? I should know this. Yeah, yeah. So okay. affiliate. So yeah, people want to support the site. They can use Amazon and uh, one or two other folks out there, one or two other sites out there if they want to go ahead and uh, buy stuff. And that's kind of the primary thing. And I don't really care whether you buy a Garmin watch or soon to watch or an Apple watch, um, if you want to use the Amazon link and buy toilet paper, that is awesome. Like just <laughs> buy a lot of toilet paper. Uh, but it doesn't, doesn't really matter to me what you, what you buy as long as, you know, I, your people or most people, at least in the U S and a lot of other countries will use that. And that helps. Are you profitable? Uh, yeah, it works out uh, pretty well. 
And is that mostly through the affiliate business or yeah. through ad revenue? Uh, it's a blend. I would say it's 70, 80% affiliate, 20, 30% ads. Ads slowly, slowly building up over time um, as I got away from, just, or got back to AdSense actually has turned out to be a pretty good thing. And then, yeah, I think that's pretty much the majority of majority revenue. I mean, it's pretty simple revenue stream between those two. It's right. uh, not a lot else out there. Um, How does YouTube do for you? I mean, I noticed oh, you've been on YouTube for eight years at least. And yeah, your videos have gotten a lot, I think, more sophisticated and trying to, yeah, everything over time. YouTube money is trivial. It's it's literally not worth the time um, from from my standpoint, which sounds silly. But like if I was if I was purely from a business, like if if I had a manager, a manager would look at me and say, "Ray, you're stupid. Why are you wasting time on this?" Because the revenue I get from YouTube isn't worth the time. Like I mean, I could put out a a hundred thousand uh, view video and get like thirty bucks off of that, and it's just not it's not worth it it's but i still enjoy it like so i that's that's what's weird about it i look at it and go i think video is definitely the future of a lot of reviews and it's where a lot of people are getting their their content from and i think you know even though if i look purely at you, the youtube dashboard on that revenue um that doesn't necessarily tell the whole story because they could then be going onto my site and then from there they could go on to buy something via amazon or whatever else and then i'm getting that revenue that way so it's it's somewhat deceiving uh but and i just i like YouTube. I like the I like to the challenge of doing something different, video, and so um, that's probably the reason why I spend so much time on it. Uh, but yeah, it's it's tough sometimes. You sit there and like you'll spend all this time video editing because I do it all myself, and so I'll I'll shoot the video and then you'll find out you're missing like sound or something stupid, right? And you have to reshoot it again, and then you edit it. It spends hours, and then you go up and you're like. I made six bucks in that video. Uh, just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's definitely. I mean, if you don't have a team of people who are helping you, and you're yep. spending I mean, video production can take hours out of your day. We certainly go through that. Things and take so long to they do. They take a really long time. They do. And having worked both in digital video and and now like just writing most of the time, it's it's amazing how you know how different the processes are. Yeah. And you're also doing. I mean, you're doing things that are essentially hard to produce. I mean, you're doing under you're underwater, or you're swimming, or you're on a bike. Yeah, or, it's not like in a room. Like it's really tough. You have to. You're thinking about you know I'm I'm moving down the street at say 20 miles an hour on a bike. I'm shooting and I'm like, okay, what's my mic situation like? Can they hear me? Noise cancellation you know, syncing up of data because I'm doing data overlays to show people what I want to see on this. It's, it is complex. And it's one of those things like the, the error rate is really high. I was, I was laughing. I probably only published to YouTube like 10% of what I shoot from a video standpoint, which is an enormous waste of time when you think about how much time that takes to do all the video production and mm-hmm. then never actually get to YouTube. But and I'm ta- talking like B-roll and stuff. I'm talking like I had an idea and 10% of those ideas make it to YouTube just because somewhere along the way you go, wow, this is way too complex to edit now. Or, you know, if I have like four different cameras, like I was doing a bunch of drone videos and stuff and, you know, I'm trying to show tracking of me using autonomous drone stuff and you're like, okay, I've got drones on drones on drones. Literally it's drones on drones. <laughs> like I've got drones following me, following the camera. And before I know it, I have five cameras and you're trying to sync all this stuff. And invariably because it's autonomous drone stuff, it always goes wrong. And so you're you're taking multiple takes to try to get it right, and then um, yeah, it's it's really funny, kind of a funny thing. You sit there and you just kind of go, wow, that's a lot, lot just to show what should be a basic concept, like to show it doesn't right. work or does it not work, um, and especially like in drone videos because then. YouTube like criticality factor is way higher than every oh, other yeah. segment, um, and even when you want to show how bad something is, then people will tell you you did it wrong, and it's like, 
I've done this five times now and it's, it, doesn't <laughs> it doesn't work. work. It simply doesn't right, work. Right, you need to trust me on that. Yeah. I can't be a cheerleader for this particular thing. It doesn't work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's, that's always the tough part is kind of explaining, you know, and finding that balance of what is something that I've done wrong versus something that the product simply doesn't work. Right. Oh. Yeah, it's a very enthusiastic audience on YouTube for the, for gadget reviews especially. Yeah. But when you have something negative to say, you can you can expect blowback even if you're you're completely founded in your opinion and Yeah. Um, and it does take a lot of work and you, and you have to work out multiple times a day on top of that and you're maintaining your blog. So it's not like you can just live this Casey Nesta no, existence a, <laughs> where you're just like GoProing your entire, you exactly. know, your that'd entire be, life. That'd be nice. Like, uh, right. I don't come wrong. I don't do not envy Casey in any way, shape or form from like a lifestyle standpoint. I think that's a, that's a lot of work. I'm sure he does a lot of work and he runs as well, right? He's a big runner. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. I mean, the majority of my day is answering emails. That's in comments. Like that's, I spend four to six hours a day just responding to comments on the site, um, which you think about like how much time that is over the course of the day. Again, going back to like, is it worthwhile? And I think that is worthwhile because I think people find value in those comments. Like my, you know, a lot of Garmin reviews could have 3,000 comments on that review in terms of people that are responding have questions and stuff. And so, yeah, from a search standpoint, that then gets into SEO and all that kind of stuff where it builds and that becomes the, you know, predominant result. So there's definitely value in responding to all that, but it's it's a lot of time. I know you're on Twitter because it's how we first connected, but do you feel compelled to answer your fans, for lack of a better word, your audience on Snapchat, Instagram, all of those platforms? Um, so my wife gives me a really hard time about Instagram. She's like, you're the worst Instagram person ever. Um, but I Instagram this morning, so I have checked off that list for at least another month. Um, but, uh, you know, I have not got into Snapchat um, much, which I know sounds weird from a tech standpoint. I'm, I'm keenly aware of it. I follow exactly one person on Snapchat. Um, but I'm just, you get to the point where you got to like focus on a channel and focus on whatever that is. So for me right now, that's my blog itself, it's Twitter, it's YouTube, um, and, and Facebook as well, Facebook pages, but that's it. Like I did a Google, um, you know, pages for a while and stuff. And it's like, well, that there's no benefit to that. So I've eventually got to kind of, from a business standpoint, say that's not worth the time anymore. And, um, I'm sure there's a lot of value in, in Snapchat, for example, Instagram stories, but it's just one of those, there's only so many hours in the day. And how do you, how do you respond to people on all those channels? So what is a typical day for you, like aside from answering emails? When yep. you're deciding what device you're going to be testing or devices, because I've seen you wear multiple you know, watches at the same time, or what exercise you're going to do, I mean, mm -hmm. what does your training schedule look like? It's kind of messy. So my training schedule is more structured if I was training for a certain race and I would um, you know, have a various you know, builds and all that kind of stuff and tapers, and it was very, very structured. Um, now it's sort of like just survival mode in the sense I'm – I'm training based on what I need to test. So if I have a bunch of bike stuff coming up, I'm focused on bike training. Uh, if I've got running stuff, it's run-focused training. And I kind of switch back and forth depending on what I'm trying to accomplish from a testing standpoint. Uh, so that really gets into my day. I mean, my, my days, I think, like a lot of other media outlets, are probably structured towards what releases are coming up. So what's embargoed news? What's, um, what are timelines to hit? Like this week, there was two different you know, embargoed um, fitness things out there that I had to focus on to make sure that at that exact moment at, you know, uh, 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time yesterday that a post hit and then and so on. So I, I definitely focus on that and that kind of structures my week. And then if there's not something that's hitting my radar that week, then I'll try to fill in with other product reviews. And then that drives what workouts I'm doing. If I'm sitting there going, well, I've got a bike power meter, then I've got a what things do I have left to get on that test um, list? So have mm -hmm. I got the outdoor rides that I want done? Have I got the indoor rides that I want done? Do I have certain types of testing I want done? And that'll drive what I'm doing that week. 
Do you have any kind of lab or facility that you used for testing heart rate and Yeah, so I've got um, what's called the, the DCR cave. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's actually an underground um, cave literally in France. It's underneath my, my wife's bakery. Um, and so that's where I've got tons of trainers and gear and equipment that I can test things. Uh, but really, I use me and myself like in terms of my body as that test vehicle. So certainly over the next few weeks while I'm here in, in the States, I'll be testing tons of things. I'm just a mobile test lab, and I've brought a ton of stuff. I mean, half of my suitcase was gear to test or to support testing, uh, and so that's. So you really set off all the flags at TSA. Oh, they they hate me so much. <laughs> my baggage is always delayed. Always, always, always delayed. It's just it's really bad. Um, they want to take everything apart, and it's a mess. Uh, so. Yeah, it's, it's, so I just, I want to, I still, I think it's really important to be an athlete when you're testing things. Like there's a ton of equipment out there um, that can simulate an athlete, but it's still not an athlete. It's still not a person. It still doesn't act like a person. Um, like I was listening to somebody the other day talking about bike power meters and bike power meters measure essentially how much effort that you're putting into a bike um, in a very quantifiable way. And they were talking about uh, a dyno, uh, basically a utility to be out of measure a certain amount of or drive a certain amount of effort into a bike to be able to produce and say if this this bike is producing 300 watts then is the power meter measuring that exactly and that's great but in today's world that's not where bicycle power meters fail they fail outdoors on you know environments with a uh, high temperature or low temperature with humidity with cobblestones rough roads and so that's where i want to focus testing is make and i'll certainly i'll go indoors and do all the basics but I want to make sure I'm testing things that are tougher. And the same is true with optical heart rate sensors and mm-hmm. stuff that, you know, it's easy to sit on a spin bike and get an accurate optical heart rate, but then go for an outdoor ride on a rough road or go right. for uh, a hard run up and down stairs, like yeah, that kind of you stuff. Yeah, sort of the pendulum motion of your arms and things exactly. moving around and, yep. you know, light changing and all of that in order to really see, or even just, you know, a human being going for a run and looking down at a watch and going through the data pages and figuring out if that UI is intuitive enough to cycle through when you're actually, you know, running, like maxing yourself out. Yeah. That's not something that a robot can simulate. No, it's, and you gotta, you just gotta put in the miles, I guess. It's the mm-hmm. simplest thing. Mm-hmm. What do you eat? Everything. <laughs> do people ask you that a lot? Yeah, I, I, I think it's funny because I, I'm sure folks look at me and they're like, ah, we're gonna, he knows everything about athletics and stuff, and nutrition and all these sort of things. And certainly, I'm very You're like my wife owns a bakery. Yeah, exactly. I just go there. We make she makes cakes for a living. I <laughs> literally I test and eat cakes. I mean, that's that's my my deal. That's the only reason why I run is to to eat more cake. Um, so it's <laughs> pretty. I eat anything. I'm happy to have a, a burger. I had Chipotle last night for dinner. It was like one of those like great done um yeah i just i mean living in paris obviously become foodies your the food is seen as incredible there uh and so there's a lot of that that we enjoy but at the same time like i'm also happy to go have a five guys burger in paris too because now we have the world's largest five guys in paris so it's it's great really? is that really a thing <laughs> really, it's true the world's largest world's chipotle and the world's largest five guys are in both paris. in paris yeah I wouldn't think that in It's Paris. five stories. I would think that in like Times Square, New York City. Yeah, but it's crazy. Wow. Yep. Five stories of five guys French fries. I think I could get behind that. It's, it's but you don't, do you don't have a caloric threshold that you're saying like, I want to hit this each day because no. I did X number of workouts. Nothing. No, I think, okay. you know, I, I used to do like a lot of calorie counting and stuff and I used to weigh a whole lot more. Um, before I started training for my first marathon, but uh, I just try to keep it balanced. You know, I think like anyone else, you go up and down depending on the seasons and stuff. And so like most people, you tend to weigh a little more in the winter and a little less in the summer. And uh, I just, I try to keep it balanced. And I'd certainly living um, in Europe helps out from a, I walk everywhere, I don't have a car. So, um, you know, putting down 10 or 15,000 steps in a day is, is pretty straightforward and pretty yeah, easy. It is, it's incredibly helpful. Yep. 
we don't quite have that in the Bay Area. Well, some people do in the city directly, but there's a lot of traffic here right now, which is one of the biggest change for me when I moved from New York City out here. Uh, But anyway, so stumbled upon this blog post on DC Rainmaker not long ago. Other people had seen this because it was old, and I just happened to see it. We emailed about it. You got stung by a stingray <laughs> at one point when you were yeah. uh, testing. Was it, it was a polar. You were testing the, polar, the yeah. V800, V800 yep. in Florida. Mm-hmm. You happened to be in Florida. And it like it horrified me for a multitude of reasons because it sounds like you were in terrible pain. So that's the worst thing. But also like I just taken up surfing again. And so stingrays are, among other things, mm-hmm. one of the things that are like on my mind. Um, and it, I was curious as to whether that was the craziest thing that's ever happened to you while you've been training or testing something for the blog or if there's it's something pretty, else. That... I'd say that's pretty pretty high up there. Um, I was hit by a car in the middle of a race. Oh, no. Um, so that was that was definitely up there, too. Uh, yeah, in a triathlon what back happened? a couple years ago. I was just on the course riding along, and a car ran through a stop sign and T-boned me. And so I went flying off, but I actually finished the race. So after the ambulance came and everything else, I thought it was a good idea at the time. It was actually a horrible idea. I'd broken my femur. Um, and you and, finished the race. How many more miles did you have to go? Uh, I had only bike another two miles, and then I had to run a 10K. Um, and I actually ran one of my fastest 10Ks ever. But I couldn't walk the next femur. with a broken femur. But I couldn't walk the next day. It was or for a lot of days. Um, Were you concerned at all about internal bleeding or anything? No, worse that would have been logical. That? I mean, you yeah. know this. Like if you're in a race, like you don't really think about this. You're like, I'm only two miles from the end of the bike, and then running's fine. Like it'll be all fine. Despite the fact my bike was like cracked and like it didn't really roll very well. And but I just it was mostly downhill. It worked out. But it was just one of those. Yeah, looking back on it, it was definitely pretty stupid. But um, I checked it off. <laughs> So. so you've been hit by a car, you've been stung by a stingray, yep. directly in the foot. Yep. I like how, by the way, the bottom of that post, and everyone who's listening should go check this out, or maybe not if you have a <laughs> terrible fear of stingrays because it's not going to help anything. Um, but at the bottom, you did say that you had given your wife permission to take the photos of you sort of yep. lying prone and we not a, in a good space. We have a bilateral policy that says that either of us can take those photos knowing that the other person will definitely want them later on in life. And so that right. was one of those scenarios that yeah even though i was basically passed out um with a bunch of medical stuff being stuck into me on a beach with tourists looking over me uh that was she took a couple snaps along the way yeah (laughs) anything else remarkable about your testing experiences uh, no, I think it's, it's interesting just, I mean, obviously there was those instances, which by the way, I almost got stung by another stingray uh, two months ago in Australia Oh, really? Um, while testing stuff. I was standing in the water, like taking photos of watches, just ready for a start for a swim. And I had finished all the photos of all these watches. And I looked down and within six inches of my foot was a stingray right in front of me. So my next step would have been directly on top of it. Ooh, again, not that like, really? That would have been not a good... To do the stingray shuffle. Again, yeah. And that, that was the worst part of the whole stingray thing is that uh, when I mentioned at one point in Florida, people were like, oh, you didn't do the stingray shuffle? I'm like, no, it's not mentioned when you come in the airplane. Like, <laughs> welcome to Tampa, do the stingray shuffle. No, of course not. Like, how would I, why would I know this? I, I've lived in Seattle and D.C. Stingrays aren't a challenge there like <laughs> right right it's not like you arrive at the beach and it says you know warning uh rocks and sharks and do the stingray shuffle which exactly. would be really helpful in a lot yeah. of places especially warm weather places but the first surfing lesson i ever had which by the way terrified me it was in costa rica and i was in way over my head and i walked out and i didn't surf again for four years where i was told to do the stingray shuffle and so that i learned very early on if you're going to do water sports you need to in the ocean you need to do that now but uh <laughs> unfortunately you do know because and you know for some people it's been happening a lot it seems anecdotally people i talked to, it's been happening a lot more frequently but in either case what's the most number of wearables you've ever worn on your wrist at any given time mm. while testing uh i would say 
on my wrists themselves, maybe like seven or eight. Um, I've kind of gotten away from it, uh, putting like more than, I mean, look, with all the sensors, or all the wearables now having optical sensors, uh, if you have more than one on the wrist, it tends to actually impact the other ones from an optical sensor standpoint because it'll block, it'll basically restrict blood flow, and then mm-hmm. the second one doesn't pick it up correctly. And so, and it's really easy to show and demonstrate. I even just did this weekend just for fun, just to kind of demonstrate how having two on the same wrist immediately has caught an impact there, um, as you're doing right there. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> Two very different devices. Two very different devices. Right and you've got a totally functional other wrist, too, that's empty. <laughs> <Right>. So <laughs> um, <laughs> Do that for my hair tie. Yeah, <laughs> important things. Yeah. Um, but uh, so, yeah, but there's certainly, I have, like, if I'm going for a run, I'm trying to touch GPS stuff, I'll put them on, like, a camelback or something like that, another backpack to run with me. And so it's not unusual. I mean, most runs, I have four watches with me in some way, shape, or form. Most bike rides, I have uh, five to seven bike computers. I think at the top was, like, 14 bike computers on a bike at once. Um, and the worst part, that was in the Alps. And so I was, like, up and down these massive mountains with all this extra weight on there and then everyone look at me of course all the french people look at me like what are you doing when you have one bike computer and you've got 14 what's what's wrong with you i i have to say as much as we miss kara kara we miss you she would by this point eric's <laughs> laughing she would have left the room she would have been like i can't handle this we call yeah. her we, she has a drawer of unwearables because she you knows she tries them out for a few months and like a lot of other consumers she ends sure. up taking them off her wrist and ditching them doesn't see the value in them and i love to geek out on wearables so <laughs> if you if you were to choose just one watch right now that you would use it's tough i'm not wearing which, any right what's now. your go-to um, you're not I know. It's weird. Uh, that tells me you've been testing something that's top secret, by the way, the <laughs> fact that you're not wearing anything. I'm, and I see like a tan line <laughs> where, on your wrist. So I am super, super like, uh, not the right word is, but focused on knowing what's on my wrist at any one point in time, where, what the situation is. Like I, I know I'm keenly aware that people are always looking at my wrist and depending on what I'm in, like even like shooting videos and stuff and not just necessarily products that may be unreleased, but just... I think it's it's right. Like if I'm shooting a video about one type of device, not to have like a competitor's device on my wrist at the same time, like that just looks weird. I don't think it's it's the right message to send. Um, but to like focus on what I'm doing and what what situations I'm in. Um, at the same time, I'm testing stuff all the time, so I'm just going to wear what I'm going to wear. I think I was at a uh, event last fall. And um, there was a bunch of garment folks there or something, and, uh, and someone's like, you know, why are you wearing that the polar watch? Not like an accusatory standpoint, just like that's a lower end polar watch, which is their competitor. Um, and you know, people look at your wrist and kind of assume that that's um, your preference. And I'm like, well, this is just what I I'm testing right now. Mm-hmm. Like, I, this is the watch du jour. I have to wear this today because I have to get the test data. And so. That's generally what it is. Right now, I'm kind of an, actually an odd point where, like, for just today, um, I don't have much going on in the testing stamp. I got tons of stuff starting tomorrow. I got um, stuff, like when I mentioned, I was here in San Francisco, like Fitbit curried over a bunch of stuff uh, last night to my hotel. So I have that. Like, all that kind of stuff is always always going on. I just haven't had a chance to unbox it and put it on my wrist yet. Uh, as far as my my daily one, I would say right now, if I had to pick one, it would be the Phoenix 5 or the from Garmin or the 935 from Garmin. It's just... 935 XT, yeah, the Forerunner that came out last yep. year. Yep. It's so funny that like those would probably be my choices as well. Yep. I really liked the 935 XT last year, and then I just reviewed the 5S, the Garmin Phoenix 5S, and I was really impressed by it. Yeah, the 5S. And I'm so happy they made something a little bit smaller for smaller wrists and or women. Yep. Oh, Walt Mossberg's calling me right now, but I'm going to just decline this for a moment. Or should I take the call from Walt during the podcast? I think so. Hey, Walt, I'm taping a podcast right now, and uh, you're on the air. Well, then you probably shouldn't be talking to me. I just wanted to say hi. 
Very nice of you, but you should go back to taping. Are you sure? I, so I've got a DC Rainmaker in, in the studio, and uh, Kara's not here because I think her head was going to explode if we talked about wearables anymore, but Rainmaker runs one of the best tech and fitness blogs out there, so he's here. Okay, cool. Well, then <laughs> say hi, do the podcast. I'm just calling to check in. We haven't talked, I think, since your trip, and I thought we would uh, catch up a little. Okay, sounds good. I'll call you later. See ya. Bye. Uh, so what were we saying? Oh, we were talking about uh, the Garmin, the Phoenix 5S. Yep. And you reviewed the 5, obviously, yep. and uh, gave yeah, it a thumbs up. It's a, it's a solid watch. I think it's, I think it's Garmin's best wearable they've ever made um, in terms of, like, they're getting to the point where the maturity level is so high now, and, and they're not starting from scratch every time. I think they've, from a product development standpoint, they've kind of merged all those resources now, and they're, they're actually building upon their past products as opposed to, you know, a lot of products will do a whole reset every time. They'll, you know, release a new product, and you've got to wait for that product to mature, and it just takes so long. They're at the point now where they're releasing quick enough that, I mean, kind of like the iPhone or a lot of other things where, you know, when you go from version to version, you're not seeing, like, going backwards in time, whereas it's true for a lot of products. They go backwards for a few months, and then you have to go forward. And I think Garmin's got to the point where they're mature enough now that they're just legitimately going forward for the most part. Um, and that backwards period is either non-existent or just a couple of weeks before the last, you know, minor firmware stuff goes out. And so, yeah, I, I really like that. Uh, my wife wears the 5S as well. Um, she likes it. It's just a, it's a really, really solid watch. What do you think of Garmin software? It's a mixed bag. I'm I'm mixed on the app. I tweet out the other day making fun of that run, runner man thing that pops up on the app every time it's thinking, and it's like, where are you? What are you thinking about? Just just open up the app. I don't show anything if you're thinking. Like just just wait. Uh, and you know they've made a lot of good strides in the last couple of years. It's still their their tougher spot. Um, there's a long history as to why that is in terms of them laying off an entire team and all that kind of stuff that got them to where they are today. Uh, but I think they're they're getting a lot better than I think some folks give them credit for. I think um, there's, if you compare them to a lot of the competitors, it's it's a mixed bag. Some people prefer mm-hmm. like Polar, some people prefer Sunto. And then if you look on the wearable side, especially then you get to preference between Fitbit and them. I think for the average consumer buying, for example, an activity tracker, there's not a lot of difference between Fitbit and Garmin, for example, at the end of the day. It's one really? of those. I think there is. From a hardware or software standpoint? Oh, from a software standpoint, actually. Well, just in the sense that, so they both offer desktop software, but Garmin yep. really started as pretty, you know, granular desktop sure. software. And now it feels to me like they've just sort of condensed all of that information into a mobile app. And the fact that you have to swipe through 10 different pages to see your data um, when you open the mobile Definitely app. Definitely true. Is, but then, like you point out, I mean, I just, I'm wearing a Sunto, the Sunto Spartan HR. I just, just started wearing it and opened up the move Sunto moves app and it's got like i don't want to misquote this but like, like one and a half stars or two and a half stars in the app store and it's like it's all relative right it it's yeah. yeah it's all over the place i think different different apps do different things better than others like i think um fitbit's social piece is way better than garmin's social piece like and that's definitely true and i think um, some of the surfacing of information is a lot better than garmin's i think when you get into the athletic side garmin tends to do a better job at showing you that data that you want from an endurance standpoint or whatever. And that's really tough. Like like Fitbit's in a little bit easier spot because they're not trying to cater to two vastly different audiences, right? Versus Garmin is trying to cater to someone who's not even going to run at all, just going to walk and wear this activity tracker at the same time as someone that 
is could very well and is an Olympic athlete, right? They could be an Olympic athlete and a gold medalist that is trying to get very granular data. And so it's really tough to be that company for two different pieces. But I think even with that in mind, Garmin can do a heck of a lot better job on just like the dashboard page itself of of some of these of the app just to be able to see that basic data. Mm-hmm. What do you think of Apple Watch? I think they make without question the best smartwatch out there, period, but not the best fitness watch. And how do you define a smartwatch versus a smart fitness watch? Uh, I think, so that's the, the definition that keeps on changing for everyone, including like IDC and others that track things. It's like every month it's a different definition of what's a smartwatch. I always laugh and I look at the rankings and stuff. You're like, wait a second, wasn't last month this wasn't included and now it is included? I don't understand that. Um, I'm considering a smartwatch anything I get notifications on. Um, and I know the different definitions of one that has apps versus not apps, and it gets really granular. For me, though, I think the reason why it's so good is just the nuances. It's these nuances of the Apple Watch that when you wear it for a long time, you start to pick up on uh, and how it reacts to you. And the example I always give in the Apple Watch is with text notifications, where a text message come in. I could be sitting like I am at a table with other people right now, and you don't see that text message on my wrist, even though you're two feet away from me. Um, it just it shows blank. But then the second I show my wrist, it could be five minutes later, I then see the text message myself. Whereas with your Sunto right now, I'm seeing the text messages are coming in as they've been coming over the last half an hour on the display right then and there because I see them. There's no like holding back until you is you're you're not control of the watch anymore. Uh, and so I think it's that kind of stuff that's so nuanced that they do so well. But from a fitness standpoint, it starts to fall apart. And I think mm-hmm. like it could be heart rate accuracy. Um, there's even some quirks in GPS and in pace and things like that. And then just the reality of interfacing with something that doesn't really have buttons for the fitness side of it. Like there's buttons on the Apple Watch, but you can't actually use them in a fitness context. They're to get back to other menus and stuff like that. So it's it's a bit more tough than, you know, if you're doing a really hard interval out there and you're you're running as hard as you can, and you want to mark a lap, that doing that on Apple Watch on a rainy night is really tough. Like right. it just doesn't work that well. And you're also a triathlete and there's no real triathlon mode on no, Apple Watch. No, definitely not. So you have to sort yeah. of stop and start and stop and start every time you're in a transition. And exactly. when you're shaving off seconds, that's not ideal, right? Yeah. I say that. I say this like I, I sound like I know what I'm, I've done triathlons before. I've never done triathlon. What? But Why not? I should. I should. I'm looking to sign up. I should sign up for a sprint. I'm going to start. That. That's like this year. That's a this year. This summer sprint. goal. Sprint just do is a sprint. like the, the playground crack of triathlon. Like it's. You basically go out, you do it, you have so much fun. You can still walk afterwards. Like, it's great. It's like a marathon. You can't walk the next day. In right. Ironman, you can't walk <laughs> the next day. Um, it's the same thing, like, with uh, someone once told me that, uh, like, a half marathon is a very gentlemanly distance, that you can go out, you can run a half marathon, and most people can still go about the rest of their day with some degree of normalcy. Like, they may be sore, they may be depending on how they ran it, but they're not lying on the couch looking up at the ceiling for three days. Right. It's, <laughs> they're it's, able to go to work the next day. Exactly, they go to work. Yeah. It's, it's the same I, thing although with Although I will sprint. say I've, every time I've done a half marathon, I've said to myself afterwards, I don't think that I could do two of these right now. <laughs> so maybe a sprint is more my sprint, so style, much and, then, and then I'll go for the, the try at some point. But but yeah, I mean, with certain watch, smart watches, quote unquote, that seems to be the limitation. Like they, Definitely. I just reviewed the LG Watch Sport mm-hmm. and it had this one really interesting feature where it will automatically recognize your strength training exercises, yep. which didn't work all of the time. You know, sometimes it thought I was like chest 
pressing when mm-hmm. I was actually doing shoulder flies or whatever right. it might be, right? But that was really cool. And I thought, oh, and it has you know GPS and LTE mm-hmm. built in, but then the battery was terrible. So you're like, you think about how they're catering to athletes, you know, quote unquote, serious athletes in one area. And then you think about that one critical area where you're making that trade off and you're like, well, I would probably just get a Garmin or yeah, a Polar. It's, it's you know? really tough when you get that level. And I think, like I saw that at um, one of the European uh, tech trade shows as well. Like I was looking in the booth for, I don't remember who it was, LG. It was one of the kind of the, I don't want to say a legacy phone carriers, but one of the big phone carriers that had wearables. And you looked in the booth, and you're looking at these ads or their whatever you call the stuff in the booth, like booth photo stuff. And uh, you're looking at it going, that doesn't make sense. Like there's fundamentally, that's the wrong metric in sport. Like they just, they clearly some ad person that said, oh, we'll just toss these metrics on running. And you're like, that's a cycling metric. Why is it on running? Like you don't, you don't use that that way. And I think it's really tough for those companies to bridge that gap into being sport focused. And it's something that, Certainly, Apple has plenty of very capable athletes there, right? I mean, they're a big company. They have a lot of people that understand sport and fitness. But Apple's challenge is to be able to balance that with something that they want to sell millions of units of to a wide number of people. And there's nothing wrong with making that choice. Mm-hmm. I think it's tougher if you're marketing a sport watch, though, to be able to find that balance and make sure that the nuances are right um, in the sporting sense. Because you'll get slaughtered for it. I mean, athletes will look at that and laugh and just move on to the next thing uh, in the same way that, you know, people on the other side will look at a pure athletic watch and be like, well, that's stupid. I don't need all that stuff. Right, or I don't like the way it looks or something like that. I'm really glad that Apple added waterproofing, though, definitely to Series 2 and GPS. The the waterproofing mechanism is pretty cool. It's super cool to, to to listen to and watch and all that stuff. It's fun. I did waterproofing tests on the first one. I put it in a waterproofing chamber and everything, and it held up. Like, there was definitely... A fair amount of waterproofing they had done on that unit, but they were just being cautious, which is which is fine, makes sense. Okay, so in a minute, we're actually going to take some questions from Ray's fans, and he's going to answer them. But first, we have to go make some money. Uh, and Kara's not here today, so I will say her favorite word, which is kaching. Are you ready to take your website to the next level? Because whether you're a first-time blogger or an experienced web pro, HostGator has all the tools you need to create a really great-looking website or even an online store. And if you ever need a boost in hosting power, HostGator offers cloud, VPS, and dedicated server hosting that can easily handle maximum visitor traffic. So see what HostGator can do for your website. And right now, you're lucky because Recode listeners get 60% off. You just have to go to HostGator.com slash Recode. That's HostGator.com slash Recode and get your 60% off. This is brought to you by Willis Towers Watson. Executives, you need to listen to this. Cybersecurity is one of the greatest threats any business faces. Last year, more than 400 million new malware threats were released and more than a half a billion personal records were breached. And while businesses spend $100 billion a year on cyber technology, cybersecurity is as much about employee behaviors as it is technology. The average network breach can cost $4 million in company losses. That's why you need to know about Willis Towers Watson. Willis Towers Watson understands the only comprehensive approach to cybersecurity is to deal with it all, your people, your capital, and your technology risks. Willis Towers Watson decodes all that complexity through its comprehensive three-stage approach. First, they thoroughly assess the cyber risks throughout your businesses. Next, they protect your company through their best-in-class solutions. And finally, they let you improve your ability to recover from future attacks. Learn more about what Willis Towers Watson can do for your business. Go to willistowerswatson.com slash recode. That's willistowerswatson.com slash recode. 
Okay, I think I have taken up enough of your time with my own questions. I should probably get to our reader questions since that is the point of the show. And anyone who's been listening this long is probably thinking, I'd really like it if she got to my questions now. So you all know how it works. Every week we take tech questions from our readers and listeners and we try to answer everything that we can. And this week we're answering everything you could possibly want to know about health and fitness trackers with Ray Maker of DC Rainmaker fame. The first question is from at Taken With Camera. That's a good handle. How has his life changed since he quit his day job and is full-time with the site? Uh, the biggest thing is schedule. It's control schedule. I think we talked a little bit this earlier, but it's just the ability to schedule time on my own terms and not have to worry about something else popping up or changing and canceling on stuff. And it sounds so trivial until you, you realize I can actually take a meeting with someone and not have to worry about it and know that it's my time. Uh, beyond that, it's I still work a lot of hours. I still swim, bike, run. I still do all the stuff that everyone else does. It's just simply I can schedule my own time now. Okay. So scheduling. There are perks to running your own thing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> You're kind of, you should like live the Brian Lamb life. You know Brian Lamb from The Wire Cutter, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Just like split your time between two exotic locations, go surfing from time to time, then eventually sell your site to the New York Times. Yeah. It's, it's funny. <laughs> I've thought about it. Not, not necessarily the sell the t- site portion, um, but uh, though if the New York Times doesn't want to buy it for $20 million yeah. or whatever it was <laughs> they bought. So, yeah, right they're, I'm definitely open to that. Uh, maybe even $19 million if you want to want to deal. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, it's funny. We talked about, like, my wife and I were saying, you know, we don't really need to live any one given location. I think there are certain times of the year, like for bicycle trainer season, that I need to be in one place because uh, – People are sending me 50-pound packages to test these things. That's the fall. Uh, but uh, like this past year, we went to Australia for all of January and just uh, did some work from there because there was a big bike race down there and then just kind of wandered around. And I think we'll do the next same thing next year as well, probably for like a lot longer because nobody really wants to be in Northern Europe in winter anyways. And so um, that's something that, yeah, we've kind of talked about just living wherever we want to be for a couple months at a time. I mean, it's amazing when you think about that as the future of media too. You're totally distributed. You're not tied to a specific newsroom. It's not like you have bureaus set up in time zones, but you're also covering a specific type of, you know, a specific vertical, specific type of content, but you can kind of go everywhere, go anywhere and everywhere. I mean, just like the next three weeks or whatever it is I'm here in California for, Mm -hmm. it's just... I brought an extra large suitcase full of stuff, and you know, I certainly spent a lot of time thinking about exactly what I need for three weeks worth of content and beyond to make sure I have all the right gadgets for that. But uh, once I'm here, I'm just I'm self-sufficient within that. Will Robertson asks, can Apple Watch or the recent Android Wear watches, such as Polar, New Balance, LG, et cetera, replace a dedicated running watch yet? I think they can from a running standpoint. I think for some people they can. Um, not everyone, but I think that you know, if you're if you don't really care about um, all the f- higher end like infrastructure type pieces or structure training that kind of stuff on a Garmin wearable or Sunto or whatever, um, then I think they can. And to be fair, like a lot of that same stuff exists on the Apple Watch in the form of third party apps. Like there are some amazing third party apps out there on the Apple Watch that do really cool stuff from a training standpoint and plans and all that kind of stuff. Um, it just gets back to a little bit earlier we talked about you know the usability of that in uh, tough workout environments and whether that's uh, swimming or it's uh, running intervals at night around a track when it's pouring out and trying to use a touchscreen, that's where it's more difficult. If you're running 10K every other day around such a park and only when it's sunny out and you're just at your own pace, then it's you're probably fine. fine. Yeah. It's probably fine. Well, yeah. minus the really sunny part because... 
display. Yeah, display. But, but you, you know. know, it's the the thought that counts. There's <laughs> right. nothing wrong with running on Central Park, by the way, on a sunny day. I love doing no, that, that too. No, that sounds but, amazing. Yeah. Uh, actually, Joe Cools responded to that question, said, no, try doing an Ironman with an Apple Watch. Yeah. Emoji. Yeah, no way. <laughs> Sam Cash asks, what would be a killer sports app for the Apple Watch? Uh, well, it say, seems like they ha- it has a lot, a yeah, fair amount already. I, but. Think it, I think it has most of what you need from a, a sports standpoint. Um, I think the biggest challenge with uh, any of the Android Wear Apple Watch type scenarios is that you're having to get all these different apps. So like if you go out and get a Garmin or Polar or a Suunto, whatever you want that's fitness-focused, all that stuff is by and large in that unit itself. Certainly like Garmin has their Connect IQ for apps and whatnot, but the core of what you want to do is within that watch without having to download additional apps, which um, you know is kind of what you want in some ways on a wearable versus on a phone. Certainly you want the ecosystem of apps and everything like that, uh, but you want the core things to be there versus on an Apple Watch or an Android Wear watch. If you want to do something, you have to download an app for that. You have to find the best bike app or you have to find the best running app or the best swimming app. And then does that work with the services that you want it to? And that's where it kind of gets a bit tougher, which on the flip side, that's flexibility. That's the ability to say, oh, the let's say Apple Watch's default running app sucks. To be able to say, no, we want to use something else and go off and use uh, another company's. And that's that's great. You can do that versus on the Garmin side. You know, you're kind of tied or in Suto, you're tied to that particular app, mm-hmm. that functionality. Yep, the core apps. Ian Berman asks, well, he says to ask Ray about business travel tips for working out device tracker algorithm assumptions and relevancy under the Raider fit tech startups. Okay. These are three questions in one first parts, four parts. I like the first one. Let's, let's focus on that. What are your tips for working out when you're traveling? Just get it done. Just get it done. Just get it done. Just go out and do it. Just, I, especially like for me, get off the plane. And if you can, if you're not like falling over tired just do it then just go out and run like i've gotten off of 14 hour flights and just gone out and run 20 miles and yeah you're gonna feel crappy for the first mile or something but you'll feel so much better at the end of it and it's done like you're not thinking about it versus i feel like it's really easy when you're traveling to get into that rut of uh first day i was i was on the plane and this and that and then the second day well i'm I i got busy with work and before you know it a week's gone by and you actually haven't done anything to keep yourself healthy which that's like the one time that you should be healthy because you're eating crappy hotel food or eating out every night. Hydrated and, or mm-hmm. yeah, it's just I just get it done. I think at the same time, don't overthink the workouts. Like if you're doing if you're training for a marathon or training for some event that you're really focused on structural workouts, in some ways that's the time to give yourself a break about structure and focus on keeping maintaining fitness like you know you talk about uh, building fitness levels and maintaining or losing fitness levels depending on what you're looking at kind of different categories don't overstress on trying to build your fitness level just maintain while you're traveling and that's usually going to still help you so that when you get back you're still healthy you know people if you're traveling internationally or whatnot you could get sick easily and traveling just in terms of fatigue and whatnot built and if you try to go out and do admittedly my example of a 20 mile run then you could end up being sick versus just simply maintains like for me traveling i don't generally bother to swim because logistics are usually too messy to deal with trying to find the right swimming pool and are the hours right and before you know it you go to the swimming pool and the hours aren't what they posted and then you've wasted an entire workout right um i don't generally try to do bikes when i'm uh, traveling unless I'm somewhere for a long period of time, just because again I don't want to bring a bike somewhere. I don't want to deal with rentals. I just run or use like I use a hotel bike if I need to mm-hmm. uh, to get the workout in. But um, I enjoy like this morning I ran and just I went out at whatever it was just before sun sunrise and it was great. Mm-hmm. 
I would say my my process is probably somewhat similar. I definitely never swim when I'm on the road. I definitely never bike when I'm on the road unless I'm like renting the bike for the day to go ride along the beach type yep. thing. But running, yeah. But I tend to be a little bit more of my surroundings when I travel too. If I'm really unfamiliar with an area, I won't go running mm-hmm. outside. Mm-hmm. But even just doing intervals in a crappy hotel treadmill yep. is better than nothing. Absolutely. And if you, even if you're going to be bored because maybe you forgot your favorite headphones or there's nothing you're staring at a wall i mean doing intervals is just a great way to like keep it interesting and yeah absolutely and then, like from a running like finding places standpoint you mentioned that, like my two biggest tips are water and airports so you can run along and around water almost every city on earth and you can run around an airport in almost every city on earth uh, except for oddly enough here in san francisco um like they make great running routes like just to, you can follow the perimeter road because almost every airport has a perimeter road and it's almost, every time it's you know outside the fence and so you can just run around it and it's a they're usually well lit, well secured. Like it's, it's a, a good tip. Yeah. So you're not that person that's like waking up and doing a thousand burpees in your hotel room. Not a chance. <laughs> nope. I like that about you. Next question is from John Brubaker. Garmin makes such a big deal of quote unquote performance condition in their new watches. So why doesn't this integrate with other devices like Edge? It's a good question. Mm-hmm. Uh, likely because they license it. So they license it from First Beat, uh, which is a Finnish uh, heart rate analytics firm, and they probably don't want to pay licensing fee for the Edge devices. Okay. So basically they're putting in their watches, but you're out of luck with the bike computer because it's more places for them to have to pay for it. Yep. All right. That was a good answer. Sam Mallory. Kara once said she wanted her fitness app to tell her how much to run. Is automated training, oh, by the way, shameless plug, that was an earlier podcast we did about which running app you should use. And you can find that in our archives. Sam asks, is automated training the future and can it be applied to running and swimming? I think it's getting there. Like it's um, uh, one app on the cycling side uh, called Exert, it's X-E-R-T, is doing that now where they aren't necessarily telling you how long to run, um, or bike in this case, uh, but they're changing duration on the fly while you're on the bike workout for your structured workout. So it's literally looking at you and saying, you're doing this well or not well, and you're trying to achieve a certain amount of exertion points, essentially, in a very technical sense. Um, and it's going to adjust your workout parameters on the fly. So add more intensity or add more duration to get you to this goal along the way. And so I think they're they're on the right track. And I think if you were to go forward um, into running other things like that, we'll probably definitely see that. Uh, it's getting very, very close. Certainly, there are plenty of I don't want to say automated coaching because that's almost sounds, like micro coaching. Yeah, like a lot of the problems, a lot of the companies um, will say, well, we got, you know, coaching plans and stuff, but mm-hmm. it's all pre canned stuff. It's just simply they're picking an end date, they're picking an intensity level, and then they're spewing out pre canned stuff. It's not actually looking at um, your, you know, stress levels or fatigue levels and stuff every day like a normal coach might do. And so, you know, if you have a, a running coach or something or a triathlon coach, and it's a good one anyway, if it's a good coach, it'll, they will give you that feedback back and say, oh, you're exhausted today, you're traveling, let me adjust your schedule accordingly, which most apps out there don't do. They just simply say soldier on. Next question is from Marcos Don Juan. <laughs> Great name. You should do a versus video, he says. Thank you, Marco. It's been a little while since I've done a versus video. I might have to revive that. Question now, what will be the next big thing for sport watches after refined OHR optical heart rate? What's the next? Your versus videos are great, by the way. They, Thank I can't you. imagine how much time they take. We've gotten them down to a science, my twin and I. <laughs> um, uh, but um, we actually haven't done one now since late last year, so we're just we're waiting for the the right moment. Yeah, they're, they're, we're gonna have some new video stuff coming soon. <laughs> Thank you, though. <laughs> yes. I really appreciate it. Um, so next big thing, uh, I think it gets back to some of the automated coaching stuff. I think we're seeing a lot of focus by a lot of companies, Garmin, Fitbit, and others, on using you know. Uh, 
HRV, so uh, heart rate variability data, and RR intervals to start looking at what your body is doing under the covers uh, and trying to give you suggestions on how to improve your day-to-day life, your workouts, and that's really the direction to go. And certainly, there's a little bit of voodoo magic when it comes to HRV data. It's one of those things that I can look at HRV data from four different straps at once and get totally different answers, um, which can really matter because the nuances of HRV data are so big that you know a tiny change is actually a huge change on the, the recommendation side. Still, I think they're trending the right way. Um, what Garmin just released this week with the new uh, Vivo Fit 3, um, or Vivo, sorry, Vivo Smart 3, mm-hmm. uh, is actually impressive on the stress tracking front. I mean, to, to try that out and go, wow, it's actually nailing my stress levels throughout the day, and, and they're measuring it on a per-second basis, basically, constantly, and then to look at the end of the day and go, dang, that actually m- mirrored what my stress level was throughout the day is impressive. And then to figure out how they could then integrate that within coaching, for example, to look at that and go, you know, just like, a, again, a coach would to say, you had an incredibly stressful two days at work. Why don't you just take the day off sort of thing? So with stress, you're actually referring to day-to-day stress, not day-to-day stress. training load not stress. Not training load stress. Okay. Yeah, so not that. So just, yeah. and, but isn't on some level that sort of subjective as well? I mean, you Absolutely. could look back and say, oh, I remember I was stressed because I was in a heated phone call with, yep. well, I was going to say your boss, but you're your own boss yeah. or whatever mm-hmm. it might be, you know, during that time period. And then you look at your spikes in heart rate and you're thinking, okay, that must be accurate, but it's really hard to know. It's tough to know. It's tough. It's something that you have to look at each day and go, was that accurate or not? And kind of make those judgment calls. And, and then does it matter too? Like, was that, um, so I think the example this weekend, my highest stress point was actually sitting in traffic where we were late to a friend's uh, birthday party or something about like a long time late. And the traffic was all closed down for ironically the Boston or the Boston, the Paris marathon. And so, you know, we spent like 50 minutes going somewhere. It should have taken us 10 and to see that stress level and go, okay, yes, it was super stressful according to my watch for that period of time, but did that actually have an impact on my day? And then at the end of it, the site, Garmin site says, no, it didn't. My day was considered was, quote, calm. Um, and so that's, it's tough to be able to balance that and figure out is that useful guidance or non-useful guidance? And I think they're on the right track. It's just going to take time and and to figure out, you know, how to turn what is general lifestyle stress into training stress because they're two different things. Like mm-hmm. for a lot of people, to relieve that training or that lifestyle stress, you go out and train. People go out for a run to to wash away that. Um, so to be able to find the balance to say, is that training going to help or hurt you in an overall fatigue standpoint? The holy grail for a lot of these companies is really figuring out a way to take all this data. I mean, we're still it still feels like we're in the very earliest days of mm-hmm. all of this massive data gathering. So much, and data. there's not one company yet that has quite figured out the right balance between privacy and giving up data that you need, you know, providing recommendations that feel personal in real time and all of that, doing everything accurate. I mean, some companies seem to do well with optical heart rate, but then you wonder about the accuracy of sleep tracking and obviously sleep plays an important role. But it's all kind of moving that way. It's just, it's not, it's definitely not there yet. We're not there no, yet. No, it's, it's all like compartmentalized right now. You you capture a ton of data and it maybe gives you like a summary the next day or something, but it's not real time yet, which I think is the, the changing point. Like right now, you may get your like Fitbit or Garmin or whatever summary at the end of the day that's like, good job, you did more steps or good job, this is more than your average. Like, or it tries to add some sort of like pseudo big data twist on it. Like, oh, this is more than most people of this gender. And it's like, <laughs> Okay, great. But what does that actually tell me versus I want to watch to tell me at like four o'clock so I'm getting ready to go home or whatever to say, hey, you know, this day was a pretty calm day. Uh, let's up your run from this to this. Like Right. Like saying, oh, you know, you, you're better than 35% of females aged 30 to 39 is not 
big data. No, it's, it's not. not. It's not a sophisticated yeah, AI. It's like everyone wants chart. to use AI and big data <laughs> as their buzzwords for everything, right? And right. It's, it's not like do something legit with that. Like find a way to to make use of all that data. And I think that's where all these companies are are really failing in terms of not just give me a cute infographic, but find a way to look at my trending over time and figure out what I'm doing and, and how can I make it better. Right. Okay. So that Marco, that's going to be the next big thing, but we're not there yet. The next question is from PJ Washer, who asks, is there such a thing as too many races? Does he have a certain number of races he targets to do each year? What's your goal each year? Uh, I don't have like a certain number of races. Definitely, goal? There's definitely something as too many races. Um, there are, yeah, if you do too many races, you're not going to actually train. You're just recovering from races. So you're not... Um, certainly people, like I know some folks that will try to do like one a weekend or whatever in, in the peak of the season. I think if you get to the end of the season, it's fun just to like do races for the sake of races. Like if you're talking like the fall, if, like if you're a triathlete, for example, you know, that season generally ends around September. And then sometimes depending on where you live in the world, if you're in a warmer place, you can get that in like October and maybe early November uh, to do that. And yeah, people just go out and have fun and race you know, sprint tries or whatever for a couple weekends in a row. That's great. I think if you're legitimately trying to train for an event and trying to PR or have your personal record at that event, then for me, it's once a month is kind of the in season. And, you know, you got to decide what that is. But I think for me, like starting in May or April, depending on where you live in the world, again, uh, from a temperature standpoint, uh, from triathlon, but whereas running for winter is perfectly fine too. And so a lot of people do races running wise throughout the winter. Um, but I, I wouldn't necessarily say I want to have like 12 races a year. I think that's, that's probably a lot. I think you want to have like a legit training block that you're focused on training and um, but at the same time, you want to have races to be able to, to know what racing's like. Right. Okay. So one a month. And yes, it's possible to do too many. I mean, one a month is, you're saying you wouldn't want to do 12 a year. I would but, not want to do 12 a year. But I think if you're you in could. season, in season one a month, like in a triathlon world, you might start now this time of year in April and do like a shorter distance one. And then next month do a, uh, like you could do a sprint this month. It's kind of a, just work out the kinks of your equipment this year and all that kind of stuff. And then. In May, you might do an Olympic, and then you know if you were to continue on, if you were training for an Ironman that was in the summer, you would do a half iron in in June or July, and then finally you're an Ironman in, in August. Uh, and the same is true of racing a, a marathon. If you had a marathon in, say, October, you might do a half marathon in September. You'd probably do some 10Ks throughout the summer, um, that kind of stuff. To You want them to align with your training progression, your training plan. You don't want, you don't want a race to take away from your training plan too much. It should just fit in there nicely as a – a good kind of thing along the way. Yeah, something that keeps you going, yep. something that keeps you motivated. This question is from Big Guy Running. I think he's a <laughs> swimmer. Paris, great city. What made you choose that? Also, tech test that got you the most stares, shaking my heads, or just simply embarrassing? That's a good question. So why'd you end up in Paris? What was your most embarrassing uh, So, test? yeah, the, the company I was working for at the time, uh, that was, they kind of gave me the choice. I could live really anywhere within uh, EMEA, so Europe, Middle East, or Africa. And so we narrowed it down to Paris and, and Cape Town, South Africa. Um, and I just had to be near a big airport. That was the only requirement for the job, I was just near a big airport and willingness to travel. And so um, the only problem with Cape Town for, for me was that every week would start off with an eight-hour flight. It would be back up to the Middle East or to Europe, and there'd be occasional times in South Africa, but there wasn't a lot of big data center activity, like 10,000 seat, 10,000 server type activity in South Africa. Um, so Paris kind of won. Like it's, we love it from a, a food standpoint. It's got a great food scene and cultural scene, and um, I didn't speak a single word of French when I, when I moved there, but it, it was all good. And so, yeah, we, we enjoy it there. It's just, it's nice to be at such a walkable city to be able to just go anywhere you want to go and walk and ride around. It's, it's really nice. 
And the next question was, what was the tech test that got you the most stares? Um, I think there's two different ones. One we mentioned earlier with all the bike computers. So going in, in the Alps with 14 bike computers got me a lot of stares. Um, but I think probably the most was actually a heads-up display from Recon Instruments, the Recon Jet, which is like a sport-focused one. Running that uh, around the Louvre in Paris, so many stares. People just looking. There's two of us running at the time, uh, the, one of the company guys and, and me. And I was just taking them on a run throughout the city and testing this out for the first time running. And it's not like Google Glass-style like you can kind of, you don't notice it. Like Google Glass, you don't notice if you're a little ways away from the person. Um, with this, you definitely noticed it. People like looking at you with this huge heads-up display in your face. And every we ran right through the, around the, the Pyramid of the Louvre there. And every single person was looking at us. And so that was definitely like the most, and it wouldn't matter if it was a tourist in that area or the French people even worse. It was just like, <laughs> what are you doing? Come on. It's... <laughs> If, San, if you were in San Francisco, you would have been right at home. Yeah. It would, People would have been like, oh, hello. We totally, welcome you. Totally fine. Yeah. It's, uh, that was one of those days that I would just say, just I, we, my wife and I joke, just saying, we're going to be American that day, right? That was uh, yeah. like some days I'm like, okay, I'm going to dress more, uh, whatever you want to call it to be, like dress nicer, I guess. Like we come back here, people are like, why are you guys dressing so nice? And today, by the way, is not that day. Today I'm in t-shirt and jeans. Um, I'm, I'm going American today. Uh, but, you know, that that's definitely a day of like just... I don't care. I'm just dressing like an American. I call it done. <laughs> and you have a review of that on your site, right? I the do. Recon, yeah. Yep. Recon jet. Recon jet. Yep. yep. Okay. So everyone should go check that out so they yep. can see pictures of Ray wearing the goofy headset. I have another question for you, actually. I don't think we have any more reader questions, so I'm going to steal this one. I mentioned privacy earlier. Are you ever worried about your health data, all of your health data being in multiple clouds and apps and services, considering how much you test this stuff? You know, not too much for me. I think I'm kind of the point where if they want to know my heart rate, then shrug. Like I just, I, I get why people are worried about it. I get there's lots of stuff. But I think um, where it gets sketchier, um, so let me try, I'm trying to, how to like phrase this carefully. Uh, so there was a company recently that um, I'm working on a review for, not for, but uh, about. And uh, and you find out they have access to your data in because, they re- because they reference something and you're like, how would you know that unless you were in my account? That's Even worse, actually. Before. So yeah, so they, um, like I don't mind companies that I'm writing a review on, looking at my data and saying, hey, there's something wrong, we're seeing whatever. Like I don't, I'm fine with that. I, I don't think it's normal for a normal consumer. But if, if we have like a, a relationship where they're, I've given them the okay to, to let mm-hmm. me know what's wrong. I'm fine with that. But this in this case, this company um, on the privacy agreement says that they're not selling their data and all this kind of stuff, and they are. And it's one of those things where – and they're selling it in a really unique way that I've never seen before. And it's not a bad way. Like it's – if they were upfront about it, um, they were doing something where you bought their product – and then they would tell the retailer your usage of that product um, so that that retailer could then pitch you more products to go after that product. So if you use through this one product, you can then go buy another one, a, a new clothes or new running shoes, whatever you want, um, because you you had run X number of miles or something like that. And so you sat there and went, okay, that's that's an interesting business proposition that they have to be able to offer that to a retailer and all that kind of stuff. And if they wanted to do that where Amazon automatically sent me a new pair of running shoes after 500 miles because it knows that I need those new pair of running shoes, that's fine. But I should know about that. I should know that that's happening behind the scenes. This should be an opt-in thing, not a it's happening there, especially since their privacy agreement said it wasn't happening. Their FAQ said it wasn't happening. And then I get like a little birdie email from a retailer saying, hey, do you know this is going on? So and you found out because just that happened or because you read it somewhere in fine print? 
Uh, so I found out because a, a retailer emailed me on the side saying, hey, just so you know, they're actually pitching data, uh, pitching sales of data. So they want to oh, sell your data to the retailer. The retailer in turn comes back um, and gets access to your actual data, not like your legit data with all your personal information, all that kind of stuff. And to me, that crosses the line in terms of, A, if your agreements and all this kind of stuff in, in the fine print, I went through the fine print in detail, say that you don't do that. And then you do share the data and not just like blanket share, but share it with your name and contact information and with the intent purpose to sell you things. To me, that's that's crossing a huge line. No matter how cool that concept is, like from a, if you want to execute on that business concept, then great, but you need to be upfront with people about it. And the thing is like in that particular scenario, I would actually be fine with that. Like if Amazon wanted to ship me a new pair of running shoes every 500 miles, because that's when you should usually replace running shoes, then that's great. That'd be awesome. It just automatically knows like in a Siri, not Siri, in a uh, Alexa kind of way, but I need to be in control of that. And so that's something that, that annoys me a lot. And I've got an upcoming review about, about that. Um, so you are going to write about it. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you're going to name the company. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so, and then they've, I've certainly confronted the company about it and they've, they've given me some details on what they are or aren't doing, but are they quickly changing their language? Uh, yeah. <laughs> they are. Yeah. Um, and you're taking screen grabs all along the way. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, uh, and I think, you know, it's it's tough because obviously this is a, a startup company of sorts, and um, I don't want to say that this will kill them um, because they're they're offering an incredibly compelling product, an incredibly compelling price point, um, but they just need to be upfront about it, and so that's something that that to me like annoys me to no end. Uh, on the flip side, like if a company like Fitbit or someone else, um, you know, wants to look at my data, not from a PII standpoint, but from a looking at trends and stuff like that, I'm generally all right with that. I'm mm-hmm. less all right if they're selling my name attached to my data. Um, though I think, I guess with all the the hackins and stuff like that that happen, the break-ins and hacks that happen these days, I just presume my data in a cloud-type scenario is generally uns- unsecure. Right. I tend to be okay with sending companies screen grabs of my experiences. If I say, oh, you know, I ran this number of miles and your tracker and therefore your app is only showing that I ran this number of miles or at this yep. pace or for whatever reason, the data isn't syncing properly. All of that, I'm 100% fine sending a series of screen grabs. It's generally what I do. But I don't like to give the companies sort of like a just a pass to get into, you know, they'll, they'll say, oh, can we help you troubleshoot? Tell us what emails associated with your account. We're going to dig into your account and we're going to look into this. And I just like, I just say no, because I, I just don't want, companies having sort of carte blanche like mm-hmm. just go do this you know in yeah. my account and i also feel like especially with startups less established companies but more with startups a lot of times their products basically ship when they're still in beta i sure. mean they just don't work well yep. or there's something funky going on or they really need a firmware update or whatever it might be and sometimes they they'll try to say like well it's because you're doing this or it's because you're doing this and i'm like listen it's not your thing's not working properly yep. okay and no amount of me like sharing my personal data with you is going to change that exactly it's only going to sort of give you the ability to like point out areas where i like i just yeah, yeah tends to be a, my policy circle going down the drain sort of thing right of it's you know point, finger pointing back and forth and it's like no it just simply doesn't work and right there's no way around it right if i show you the same exact experience that hundreds of other consumers are having in their app and mine looks like theirs that's all the data you need from me that's exactly. all you need to know yeah i think you, know? you want to get the point where you can validate that it's not you that it's at fault or something like right. it's not just a, a stupid ray thing or a stupid lauren thing where you're like oh i i did this the wrong way right because mm-hmm. there's there's nothing that frustrates me more than like seeing 
a journalist publish something on a site that's just factually incorrect, not like a, an innocent mistake, but like a they used the product the wrong way and then said the product was horrible, and you're like, no, you you did it wrong, or right. that's not you just fundamentally did it wrong, and so that's something that it's it's a really tough balance to find yeah. those two. Absolutely. Okay. So what's next for you with DC Rainmaker? What's your big vision? <laughs> I don't have a big vision. I don't know. Like people, it's it's funny. A lot of people ask, they're like, oh, what's what's the big plan? I'm like, uh, aside from the New York Times buying it for 19 million, 18.5 is still an option, by the way. Um, I I don't have like a big. Uh, I just I keep doing it. You know, my wife and I were talking about it, and it's like. Yes, I could go and hire people and make it bigger and, you know, maybe make it that a $20 million sell, that sort of thing. But I don't, it's not really what I want. Like I got to the point where I'm, I enjoy that I run almost all of it now by myself and it's something that I have complete control over. I'm not dealing with employees and stuff like that. I just, I have people that need, you know, as me, like the grammar guy and stuff like that. But I don't have to think about it from a day-to-day standpoint, like in terms of a, day-to-day like a business stamp. I don't know what the right word is. I'm just, I don't have to overthink it as a, as something that like drags on me from a business perspective. It's just, I enjoy being about my life and being about uh, the, the gear I test and it works out and I don't, I don't need to make millions of dollars from it. And, um, you know, unless again, $20 million comes around, but it's one of those, I'm just enjoying the way it is. Like I don't, uh, I was listening to uh, Tim Ferriss or something recently, and they were talking to some guest about that. Like a lot of people in that startup phase where they, especially individual individuals that are, you know, become successful by themselves, um, like a Casey Neistat or whatever, or kind of what I'm doing where you get to the point where it's all about trying to be bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And at some point you stop along the way and you realize you no longer have control of whatever you've done or you're just not enjoying life anymore because you're trying, you're spending so much time appeasing everyone else or, you know, trying to get bigger and bigger and bigger to what end. So I'm, I'm good with why I'm right now. It's not bad. Not that I would ever want this to happen, but what happens if you ever, you know, get injured or need to take a serious break? I mean, how would you keep the testing going? How would you keep the site going? I don't know. It's tough. Like that's, that's a legit concern. Like it's, um, in some ways I'm no different than a, a pro athlete, right? If you get, if I get injured, that really slows things down a lot or hurts things, especially if it's for a long period of time. Um, I think there's, that's kind of, you'll see, or you've seen some of my focus on different areas of sports tech. So whether it be action cameras or stuff like that, that may not necessarily need me to be running every day or um, even like with uh, focusing on drones stuff like that lately that are in a sports way not like in a general fly a drone around take pictures way but in a how do you as a drone follow a person autonomously and does that work well from a sporting standpoint Uh, so kind of diversifying things and understanding that yeah there will be a time I've been really lucky that I haven't gotten injured but I'm sure there'll be a time and a date where I do get injured and, and can't do testing for a period of time and so how to make sure that the content on the site can can work around that. Looks like you'll have to contract some people yeah. to do some Designated running. runners, yep. <laughs> yeah. Or you have to clone yourself. That technology might be coming up. So. Definitely. It yeah. should be tomorrow, I think. <laughs> well, Ray, it's been amazing to have you in studio. Thank you so much. I'm glad you're here in San Francisco and we were able to make this work. Yeah, it's been great. A lot of fun. And um, for those of you who have not yet been to Ray's site, I highly recommend that you go visit it. It is dcrainmaker.com. Is that correct? Yep. And indeed. you're on Twitter. I'm on Twitter. And we actually have a podcast as well. It's, it's, and what's your podcast called? Uh, the DC Rainmaker podcast. It's very uh, complicatedly named. Um, but yeah, it's, it's basically like kind of we did the last half an hour. It's just tech questions. It's purely folks that have uh, sports tech gadget questions can call in and essentially try to stump me. Um, and it's, it's kind of fun. And I'm sure the questions you get on that podcast are much more 
kind of granular. They're the incredibly granular sometimes. Yeah. But they're all over the map. It's sort of like these, right? You get they're all over the map, and sometimes they're incredibly granular, like just amazingly deep in terms of well thought out. Um, it's cool. Like there's some people that have really thought about stuff, and again, it it ranges a large audience from people that are. are just you know, trying to train for a, a 5K, and I, that means just in a bad way, but just they're, that's what they're focused on is a 5K um, versus, again, Olympians or whatever else that are trying to like, how do you push the boundaries of this or a pro, a pro team or something like that? How do you do something really off the edge? So, Cool, and you can check that out on iTunes and all the usual suspects. All the usual, yep. All right. I don't know about you, but this has been a really fun episode of Too Embarrassed to Ask. Kara, we missed you. Great. Thanks again for coming by. If you all enjoyed the episode as much as we did, be sure to subscribe to the show and you can leave us a review. Go to iTunes.com slash too embarrassed to ask and do leave us a review if you have the time because we read them and we really appreciate them. If you're not on iTunes, you can also subscribe on Google Play Music. We're on TuneIn, Stitcher, we're on SoundCloud, or just go to recode.net slash podcasts, and you can find all of our podcasts there. You can find Kara's show, Recode Decode, Peter's show, Recode Media, and of course, The Verge has The Verge cast and Control Walt Delete with none other than Walt Mossberg himself, who just called in on today's show. But most importantly, send us the tech questions that you've been too embarrassed to ask, and thanks for listening. Thanks also to Digital Media, the company that distributes this show, including Beth O'Connell and our editor. Editor Chris Basil. And thank you to Eric Johnson, our producer. We'll be back next week to answer more of the questions that you've been too embarrassed to ask. So tune in then. 